This evening, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 116, Psalm 116, page 604 in the Pew Edition Bible. This is, I suspect, for many of you, a familiar psalm, a beautiful psalm of thanksgiving. Psalm 116, I'll read the entire psalm. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called in the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows of the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows of the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Shall we pray? O merciful Father, we know that apart from your Spirit's work, through the preaching of the word, Our eyes remain blind to spiritual truth, to the beauty of that truth. Our ears remain deaf to the beautiful message, the voice of liberation, of salvation, of redemption. And our minds remain darkened. We fail to comprehend the glory of your deliverance through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray May your spirit be active tonight among your people through the preaching of the word that your name may be praised. And all of us here this evening, your people here at Emmanuel, may leave here rejoicing in the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. We ask these things, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, there are a couple of reasons why I've chosen this particular psalm on this first Lord's Day of 2023. The first is that this psalm, if you've noticed carefully, lends itself, does it not, to that very act of reflecting upon the past and looking ahead to the future. We often do that in a time like this, at the dawn of a new year, looking back upon the past year. How do we look upon the past? How did you look upon the year 2022? People can look upon it with fear, with anxiety. They can be resentful. But we ought to, I think, first and foremost, as the psalmist reminds us, think about gratitude. How the Lord has been gracious to us. The Lord has lavished his love and his mercy upon us. That first of all. And then, how do we look ahead? People often get excited or they're filled with anxiety. They're fearful. What's going to happen? Are we going to have a major recession? Are we going to lose our life savings? Will the world become politically unstable? Will there be wars and rumors of wars? Or do we have the confidence, the assurance that God is the one who remains sovereign? God is governing all things. And because he does so, we know that ultimately he is leading us and leading his people, leading the whole created order to its design goal, which is that Jesus Christ would be glorified in all things. That first of all. But there's another reason why. As you probably have known over the years hearing me preach, I'm very fond of the Psalms. And I want to encourage you in this coming year to look at the Psalms as the Lord's guidebook for his people, teaching us how how to live as his people who are dependent upon his grace, dependent upon his goodness, who want to go out into the world doing his work. When you learn a foreign culture, you plan to visit a foreign land, you have to learn the language. You have to learn the customs and the culture. You have to become adept at being able to function within that environment. Obviously. It's no different with God's songbook, what we call the Psalms. God's songbook for his people. It provides for us the vocabulary of faith. The vocabulary of how to speak to God in prayer. I had that experience just a few weeks ago in class, in prison. Imagine teaching a group of people who had never really prayed before, who were not accustomed to prayer. If you call on them in class to pray, they say, no, professor, I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable doing it. And then imagine the joy of standing alongside of a student and walking him through the steps of praying in front of class. I had that experience this past semester, and I... I can tell you it was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had in the ministry. Standing alongside of a man with my arm around him, helping him pray a very simple prayer, asking for the Lord's blessing upon our class. Learning the Psalms teaches us a worldview. It teaches us how we are to understand our interaction with the world around us. The world can be a hostile place. There are many who seek our destruction. And yet, Despite that, we are called to persevere in faith. Do you pray the Psalms? 
do you take the language of the Psalms, maybe not verbatim, but the ideas contained within specific Psalms, do you pray them? Or when you read them, do you see yourself in these Psalms and say, yes, I know exactly what he's talking about. I've been there before. This speaks to me. This consoles me. This encourages me. This gives me strength to persevere into the future. That's what the Psalms should do for us. The Psalms teach us how to praise. What does praise look like? What does adoration look like and sound like? We have it all here in the Psalms. I think this psalm, Psalm 116, could be described in terms of a a diagram, an hourglass diagram, really two component parts reflecting upon the past and then looking ahead towards the future. And in the past, the psalmist describes, on the one hand, the pain, the misery that he had to undergo. But also alongside of that is the grace and the mercy of the Lord coming to his rescue. And then that develops into a point, a very small opening, like an hourglass, where he reflects upon, now what do I do? What should be my response? How can I repay the Lord for all his benefits to me? And then you see this transition from reflection upon pain and sorrow and rescue to overflowing joy, gratitude, worship, commitment, loyalty. That is what we reflect upon as well in the coming year, is our devotion, our loyalty to the Lord and to his purposes for our life. So let's look at those two things this evening, and you'll have your Bibles open to follow along in the text here. The psalmist begins very simply with the words, I love. Now, we supply in our English version the words, the Lord. But in the original Hebrew, it simply says, I love. My heart is overflowing with love, with joy, with devotion, with commitment to my God. Why? Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The God to whom we pray, the God before whom we worship, is a God who hears, who listens, who responds, who takes careful note of even the smallest details of your life. Do you believe that? And he does so in a way not as to to pound us into the dirt, to make our lives miserable, but rather to to guide us. The scriptures use the language of God holding us, as it were, by the hand and guiding us through life. In 2022, he takes us by the hand and he guides us. And the psalmist reflects upon that and says, in my plea, in my cry, my prayers, my fervent prayers, the Lord heard me and he answered me. But he goes on to say more than that. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Do you sense here this this pledge, this statement of loyalty, 
because God has acted in this way, I will give of myself completely. I know that he will not fail me. He will not disappoint me. And ultimately, in his wise and loving way, he will bring about his purposes in my life. It's a remarkable claim. But then there is the memory of pain. And this is not something relatively minor. The bad day, the unpleasant customer, the friction between a husband and wife, parent and child. This is something quite severe. Now, there's all kinds of speculation as to what the situation was. Was it David dealing with his son Absalom and his rebellion against David? Was it Hezekiah and his illness drawing him near to death? We can't say with absolute certainty, but it's serious. Notice, the snares of death encompass me. So boys and girls, I want you to think of this imagery he uses. It's almost as if death itself is like some beast, some monster, and it wraps its arms around him. It wants to hold him. It wants to tear him apart. The pangs of Sheol. Sheol simply means the realm of the dead laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And again, I would ask, do you see yourself or someone near to you in that kind of a statement? Have you been in that situation? Whether it's your, your health or a family situation, whether it's anxiety about the future, whether it's dealing with issues of your past, can you relate to what the psalmist is describing where something is so overwhelming it feels as though you are in the clutches of that problem? The thing that comes to mind for me, among other things as a pastor, are situations where I have tried to counsel people dealing with substance abuse, with addiction. Recently, one of my former parishioners passed away, a man who for much of his adult life wrestled with alcoholism. And as I was talking to his wife about that after he had passed, thinking of how the Lord had ultimately delivered him from that, what we talked about the many times we visited together, and as a pastor I had the unpleasant responsibility of confronting him about that, drawing that out of him, getting to him to admit at least that he needed help. And even there, he wasn't willing to do so, but here was a man who would do ridiculous things just to have a swig of alcohol. But there are many other things as well that act this way, that seek to destroy us. But then he says in verse 4, then I called in the name of the Lord, I, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. It doesn't need to be extravagant. You teach people how to pray. You don't, it's not a matter of your eloquence. It's not your oratory. You pray, first of all, from the heart. You pray sincerely. And he simply prays, deliver my soul. And then he remembers how the Lord dealt with him. There is the memory not only of pain, but there is also the, the memory of, the reflection of God's goodness. Have you thought about that over the last year? How has God dealt mercifully and graciously with you? Gracious is the Lord and righteous. 
our God is merciful. You think of those two sides of the same coin, grace and mercy. There is a difference, you understand. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. God's love, God's kindness, God's salvation. Mercy is God withholding what you deserve. I deserve judgment. You and I deserve God's wrath. But he withholds that. God is righteous. He does the right thing. But also the statement in verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. What do you think he means by that? The Lord preserves the simple. He's not talking about someone's intelligence here, their IQ. He's talking about, as one commentator said, perhaps those who could be described as being silly. Not funny silly, but people who do silly things and act in silly ways. Their waywardness. How they run around trying to find answers in ways that are not going to be satisfying. God preserves them. When I was brought low, he saved me. And so then he preaches to himself. Notice if you are familiar with the Psalms or you want to become more familiar with the Psalms, how one of the features of the Psalms is the call for us to preach the gospel to our own hearts. Time and time again, how do you deal with depression? How do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with confusion about the future? You can't seem to find your way. How do you deal with the stress of life? On the one hand, there is part of you that wants to say, give up, quit. Just drop it all. Forget about it. There's no hope for you. But then the psalmist reminds us, no, you had better preach to your heart. You better preach to your heart again and again and again. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully to you. Do we do that? Do we do that in our meditation upon the Scriptures, in our, our times of reflection upon God's dealings in our lives where we have to remind ourselves, you know, God has been very good to us. God has been gracious, giving me things I did not deserve. And God has been merciful in sparing things that I know I deserve because of my disobedience. For you have delivered my soul from death. And I think the psalmist already here recognizes that even the description of the physical pain, the physical illness he may have been wrestling with, is only symptomatic of a much broader problem. And that is that all of us have to deal with our own mortality. Mortality being the consequence of living in this sinful, broken world. The Lord has delivered you from that. The wages of sin is death. We all know that. But the Lord, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has delivered us from that. You've delivered my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. It's repeated also, by the way, those words in Psalm 56 to talk about my soul, my eyes, my feet, my whole way of being, my whole way of living. Notice, I will walk, verse 9, before the Lord in the land of the living. 
That's an intriguing statement. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. It has been suggested, and I think there's much that commends itself to this interpretation, that this walking before the Lord is meant to convey the idea of strolling. It's not someone who who has this definite way of of walking where they know where they want to go. They're going to make the shortest trip possible from point A to point B, very determined. I think of my father walking that way. He never walks slowly. You know, some people can mosey when they walk. My father never did that. You better keep up. You better walk fast. But here, it's this idea of I'm strolling. I'm observing. I'm taking in all these things. I see what God is doing in my life in the land of the living. I observe even in simple ways, and this is what I want to to draw to your attention, even in the most mundane ways, we begin to see evidences of the Lord's goodness and kindness in our lives. The evidence of his involvement in every waking moment and sleeping moment, for that matter, of our lives. And he affirms his faith by saying, I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. That's why some have speculated it may have been David in the time when Absalom had betrayed him, others had betrayed him. But he's saying that even in those times of adversity, it was because of my faith, it's because I trusted. I knew that God would work even this very painful situation ultimately for my blessing, for my salvation. And we don't say those things flippantly. Sometimes through great pain and great adversity, we see many years later how the Lord used that experience in our life to draw us closer to him, to refine and mature our faith. Then there's a pause. So again, going back to the hourglass design, we're now at the small aperture, the small opening of that hourglass. And there's a pause. And I think that pause is meant to underscore what prayer does. Prayer is waiting upon the Lord. Prayer is putting yourself in a position where you are open to the Lord ordering your life according to his design, his will. Why when pastors like myself, teachers like myself, teach people how to pray for the first time. I just had that experience recently. The question was raised by one of the students, well, if God is all-knowing, If God is aware of all that's happening, if God knows our thoughts before we know them, why do we have to bother praying? And one way of answering that is to say, well, prayer is not, first of all, for God's benefit. It's for your benefit. Prayer teaches you to be dependent upon the Lord, to wait upon the Lord, to seek the Lord's leading, the Lord's direction, the Lord's grace to deal with us as he sees fit. It is not your trying to order God and tell God, I want it done this way, this way, and this way. Now think for a moment, just by way of an aside, of how many of of these health and wealth gospel preachers talk that way. 
It's as if we're storming the battlefield and coming to God and said, saying, you better do this, and you better do this, and you better do this. Or if you pray just the right prayer, God is going to promise you these things. He's going to give you these things. You see here from Psalm 116, it is the humility of recognizing our dependence upon God and recognizing that his ways are higher than our ways. And so as he takes that in, as he grows and matures in his faith, he says in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? This is looking to the future. What kind of person ought I to be, ought you to be, having experienced God's goodness, God's deliverance? He's not here suggesting that we can somehow repay God and pay off what he's done, that we can even the score, as it were. That's not what he's suggesting. I think there's a sense, first of all, of awe and wonder in the sense of how can I possibly begin to repay God for all that he's given me. Have you had that experience? I've had that experience as a pastor. I remember early on in my pastorate, one of the things that, that deeply troubled me was visiting older saints in the congregation, people who were in many cases awaiting and actually sometimes praying for the Lord to call them home. And yet, so many of these people who had been pillars in the congregation, people looked up to them as people of great faith, models of Christianity. And yet so many of them said, I'm fearful. When I look back upon my life, I wonder how could God have saved me? Why would God have saved me? Think of one man in particular who every time I would visit him in the nursing home, he would just weep about that. He would weep. He was a hard man, difficult man. I had other parishioners on their deathbed complain about him as their last word. That's, that's how tough he was to live with. That's a pretty tough guy. But in his 90s, he said to me, I look back on my life and I wonder why God would save me. So there may be some of that as well, but there's also the sense of what is an appropriate response to the grace of God of course, the Bible speaks of this time and again. The Apostle Paul is very fond of speaking about this. How do we live in response to God's grace? Do we try to pay back? Do we try to earn God's favor? No. But remember also that grace should not make us careless or indifferent about how we live our lives, what our commitment is moving forward. We commit ourselves to loyalty. That's the language I want to use tonight, the imagery of loyalty. I am devoted to the God who loved me and gave his son for me. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Again, if you do any sort of study on this, you'll find that commentators have all different experiences kinds of explanations for this. Some will say this is a reference to the drink offering that was offered at the tabernacle and later at the temple. Others will argue that this is part of the Passover meal, where the cup of thanksgiving is offered at the meal. I find this very intriguing, by the way. When you think of the fact that Psalm 116 is part of the halal 
psalms of the Old Testament, which were sung at the time of Passover. Now think about this. Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. In just a few hours, he's going to be arrested. He'll be separated from them. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And as he institutes the Lord's Supper, they sing this psalm. They sing this psalm. I will take up or lift up, make a toast to the Lord and call upon him. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. There is something about gathered worship. There is something about joining together with God's people here that is meant to encourage us and excite us. He's not going to celebrate this grace of God in isolation from others, but by gathering together with God's people, as one person had said or described, it's like, the fire grows. It grows and it becomes enormous because all are joined together in that praise and celebration. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious here could be translated costly. Again, I want you to picture in your mind Jesus with his disciples reclining at the table singing this psalm and what that must have meant for Jesus to sing that. Costly in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It didn't get any costlier than the death of Jesus Christ himself. Precious, that is, as the basis of our salvation. And so he cries out, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. Here the reference, again, people will say, is probably to his identity as king. But as king, he is God's servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. And so I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Again, there's this idea of communal wor worship being that which causes that praise and that adoration, that worship to flourish in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So brothers and sisters, as we reflect on the year that has passed us by, a year that has been filled with both pleasant memories and painful memories, how do you look upon that? Do you see God's hand at work, even in those painful times, perhaps especially in those times? God, as it were, leading you by the hand, and as you look forward, are you fearful, anxious, despairing? Maybe you're growing older. We're all growing older. But maybe you're at that point in your life, like many of us are, where you begin to feel that in a very direct way. Your body doesn't function the way it used to function. Your memory's not what it used to be. 
you begin to feel the onsets of old age? How do you look towards the future? The psalmist says, don't look with despair. Look with hope. Look with expectancy. Make a vow. Pledge yourself in loyalty to the God who loves you and gave his son to deliver you from the pangs of death. May you learn, along with the psalmist, along with all of God's people throughout the centuries, may you and I learn the vocabulary, the language of faith. Not for its own sake, but in order that we might live well, live with confidence and assurance, live in the secure knowledge that God is working all things for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful psalms of the Old Testament and of Psalm 116 in particular. In many ways, we are still learning the ABCs of this vocabulary of faith. We're taking baby steps. But Father, we want to grow. We want to mature. We want to flourish. We want to be those who see themselves reflected in that, that loyalty, that conviction, that assurance that we are moving ahead with the Lord guiding us. And so would you bless this word to our hearts. May it fill our hearts with joy. We pray this, Father, for Jesus' sake.